What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Niners Nation podcast. This is Under Review with Stats and Vish. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero. Going to be joined by Vish Kumar and shortly here. He's just finishing up some uh, actual work business for his day job. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Please rate, review, follow the Niners Nation podcast network. We always say if you take the time to leave a review on the show, we will read it. Going to get into Brock Purdy, going to get into everything from Thursday Night Football. Nice to be back in the saddle on a Monday. I know I missed last week. I apologize. I was under the weather. Happy to be feeling better and happy to be back with you. Uh, First, I want to read this review since I got a little time here before Vish hops in. Uh, This is from Laramie Flick. Subject, NYC-style commentary in San Francisco. I love how Rob gets hysterical over losses and bad decisions by coaches in the front office. As a Napa Valian who has lived in New York for 20 years, it's the sort of over-the-top emotional breakdowns that make New York media fun to listen to and that maybe helps break mentally and emotionally some local athletes who had never heard that much about anything. Very entertaining. Thank you very much. I'm trying to trying to keep my emotions in check here as we're on this incredible run in the second half of the season, but it's hard not to be super excited at this point. I mean, you feel like at some point this team is unstoppable. It sounds sacrilegious to say that I know, but they just don't lose. They just don't freaking lose. I mean, think about where they were. They were three and four coming off the worst half of football that they had played against the Kansas City Chiefs, where they could not stop Kansas City in the second half. That was 14-13 at halftime, and then the Chiefs just decided, how about we just score every time? And they did. Right out of the gate, touchdown, 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 touchdown. It was 30 points in the second half of that game, and of course, we all know they won 44-23, but since then, the Niners have been like untouchable, it seems like. This defense hasn't given up more than 17 points a game to anybody since then. The Chargers, the Dolphins, Tom Brady, whoever you want to say. Nope. The defense has just shut everybody down. And it doesn't matter who's in the lineup. It doesn't matter who's not in the lineup. If we have to switch mid-game, put in rookie Brock Purdy in in the first quarter like they did against Miami, it doesn't matter. It's crazy, the run that they are on. I think we all just kind of need to stop, like, Take a deep breath and acknowledge how incredible it is. It's unbelievable. And it's a weird place right now for the 49ers because here we are. We've clinched a division. Life is great. We're going to the playoffs. We're going to be no worse than the three seed. And we still have three games left. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, what do we do? It's great, right? Now the big question is like, how does Kyle manage everything? How does he manage the injuries? How does he, what does he do with McCaffrey? Does he give him some rest and give Jordan Mason some more run? And we'll get into all this stuff with Vish. Uh, Bernie watching on the Facebook page. We'll find out everything we need to know about this team against the commanders. The reason why is because the commanders have a strong defense and it'll be a dogfight. I mean, don't we kind of know everything we need to know about the 49ers already? Like, what are you still wondering? What are you still unsure about? At this point, Bernie, that's what I would ask you. I mean, I think we've seen that Brock is competent, at least for now. We know this defense is for real. Like, I'm not quite sure what's left to prove for the 49ers. I feel like the only question is how far can they go, but we won't obviously know that until they actually get into the playoffs, and we'll see what happens. 
But I, I don't feel like they have that many more questions. Man, I'm seeing this a lot too. How about this? B Mills, 1987. Lions are a shaky matchup for us, hoping to avoid them. A lot of people are scared of the Lions right now. I'm surprised at that. Like, I get it. Their offense has looked good, but also they've lost to every good team that they've played. If you go look at their schedule, just real quick, I'll run through it. This isn't a Lions show, this is a Niners show, but since somebody brought it up, they played the Eagles week one, they lost. They played Minnesota. Maybe you don't even think they're a good team. They lost. They lost to Seattle. They lost to New England. They lost to Dallas. They lost to Miami. They lost to Buffalo. So, you know, I'm not saying the Lions are a bad team. They're not. I just don't think they're anything to be afraid of, is my point. And once again, Brock Purdy outside, cold, uh, not Brock Purdy, excuse me, Jared Goff outside against the Giants, uh, against the Jets, cold weather. Didn't look like the same guys he looks like indoors. Vish here. What's up, Vish? What up, man? I I was having just the absolute uh whatever. I was having a nightmare trying to connect my AirPods here. Is my mic okay though without it? Uh yeah, I think you sound all right. All right, that's good. Hey, Rob, you hit me with the all right. I thought you were gonna hit me with the I sound great. I know you don't like any of my setups, especially the one. Look, in my apartment, but you're talking to an old radio guy. Look at these giant headphones I have. These are cans, okay? That's what we call them in the radio business. Ugly. How do I sound through the cans? Okay, you sound okay. I'm picky, right? I, I like my mic, I like my headphones. I'm a very picky guy. Um, we were just talking about the Lions. Somebody brought up how they think the Lions are a shaky matchup for the Niners. Like, I, I think the Lions are totally overrated, frankly. Yeah. Um, the, I like the Lions offensive line a lot. I think that's their one kind of superpower advantage to win, you know, six out of seven. They have a very good offensive line. Ragnow is one of the best centers. Sewell is one of the best right tackles. Decker's a good left tackle. It's a good offensive line, but I'm not scared of Jared Goff. Uh, no. He's had probably the best season of his career. I don't think he's going to be the quarterback that's going to unlock this defense. I think Ben Johnson's a good play caller. Yep. But I think it's a little bit of a case of he's the new name, the new play caller. And people are talking about the play caller, but the Lions offense also has talent. And it, it helps when you have talent with the play callers. They have a good running back. They have two good running backs. They have a good offensive line and they have a couple of really nice receivers. And I think people underestimated the talent. So they're giving all the credit to Johnson, but I think it's a little bit hand in hand here. I don't think Ben Johnson is Kyle Shanahan 2.0 is what huh. I'm trying to say. I think he's a good play caller, but people, yeah. because he's the new play caller, people are trying to make him out to be maybe a little bit better than he is. Um, yeah. And then I don't think their defense is good, Rob. I think their no, defense it's is trash. Good. Yeah, it's true. You could say it. it's trash. And I I'm think not... they've done better at getting pressure on the quarterback, but Rob, how much has the Niners offensive line improved from week one to now? So it is a pretty amazing. First of all, they've given up the fourth fewest sacks of any team so far this year. The 24 right. sacks they've given up all year. And they are unquestionably playing better. All you got to do is look at the 49ers running yardage throughout right. the season. I think they have like 100 yards or more in seven of their last eight games, something like that. Uh -huh. And I think the only one they didn't, they had like 96 or something like that. So yeah, it has definitely all come together. And I think that's part of the reason as we sort of dive into topics here, that Brock Purdy's looking as good as he has looked. Yeah. The offensive line is doing a tremendous job. And also he is using his mobility to extend plays and avoid some sacks as well. 
Absolutely. I, I think that can't be stated enough. Like, I think it's been underestimated too, just because Purdy has played at a very, very high level. And so many of us have been so focused on talking about Purdy as we should, right? His play has definitely garnered for us to talk about him that way. But I think we've lost sight a little bit of the Niners supporting cast had come along, come on really strong. You know, they'd gotten comfortable a couple weeks with Christian McCaffrey, gotten healthy. That Arizona game was kind of the turning point for this offense by itself. And they'd come on strong with Garoppolo. And that trend has continued with Purdy at quarterback as well. And I think we, because of the injuries and we've spent time talking about the transition from Garoppolo to Purdy and then Purdy himself, given that he's a seventh round rookie starting all of that. But we also have to throw in that the supporting cast is playing the best they've played the entire season. The defense has been phenomenal all year. We talk about it all the time, but this is the best football as a group. McCaffrey, Kittle, Ayuk, even Debo was playing his best football too of this season before he got hurt again I thought that was the healthiest he was starting to look touch on knock on wood that he comes back and looks every bit as good as he was starting to look but yeah I thought it was definitely the best kind of sequence of five six games they've played throughout the season two three even yeah Terror Dome watching on YouTube says Brock Purdy is passing tests with flying colors actually looking better than Jimmy Garoppolo I get why Brock's getting a ton of love. I totally get it, right? There was no expectations when he came in. Right. He thought the season and the Super Bowl hopes and all of that stuff was dead in the water. And then he comes in and he plays well. And you're like, whoa, like we're we're still in this thing here. This is pretty yeah. good. But I, I think that we need to slow down a little bit with, with Brock Purdy and any broad sort of proclamations that we are yeah. making. Like, I'm old enough to remember Jimmy Garoppolo in 2017, Vish, coming on and winning five in a row with a bunch of guys that couldn't win diddly squat before he got in there. And, of course, the Niners paid him all that money. And we all thought, like, we got our guy. We're off and running now. And history has shown that that's not the case, right? There are Those same people are now wanting to push Jimmy Garoppolo out of town. And I was one of those people. So I'm putting myself in that group. Right. So all I'm saying is we have seen a, a Niners quarterback mm-hmm. come in, get propped up by Kyle Shanahan and end up not being the guy. So all I'm saying is we don't have to decide on Brock yet. Just enjoy the ride. This is fun. This is all house money. So I'm just saying, like, let's just slow down a little with Brock's ceiling and what we think he could be and all that stuff. OK, and. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I think the point stands, and I think it's a very real one. And I think it stands across the NFL. I think flashing in the pan quarterback success um, and anointing people quickly for having success over a short period of time has done way too much with quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's why I've always had a great appreciation for quarterbacks a lot of people hate on, right? My favorite quarterbacks are the previous era when everybody was praising Manning Breeze, um, Rodgers and Brady. I was a big fan of Carson Palmer and Tony Romo and Matthew Stafford and Matt Ryan and Philip Rivers. And the reason I am is because, yes, those guys aren't Brady Manning, but they're franchise quarterbacks to me that are right below. And you give them the right team, any of them could have gone and won, you know, multiple Super Bowls. They were never as good as Brady or Manning, but they were so much better than the rest. And then you add into the fact that those guys started. For 10 years with different systems, different coaches, different coordinators, and they had success year after year, that impresses me. So I'm impressed by guys like Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins as well, 
who get a lot of criticism because I think starting 10 years in the NFL at quarterback is a very impressive achievement. And I think it gets understated a lot. Like Kirk Cousins peak might not be the peak that other players achieved, but Kirk Cousins consistency for 10 years in the NFL is phenomenal. Not a lot of quarterbacks, even the ones that we look at as better than Kirk Cousins today. Let's see if Kyler Murray starts for 10 straight years in the NFL. Right, but what does that have to do with Brock Purdy? I'm getting there. My bad. Uh, <laughs> I, good thing you actually told me that, in fact, because I would have gone on a, another one-minute tangent a little way from there. But So what I mean about Purdy and Garoppolo and all of this in general is that I feel like we give credit to the quarterback too quickly in general. So I don't want to do any projection with Brock Purdy, um, but I'm going to do projection as well because I'm going to push back on your second point after this. But for the first part with Brock Purdy, I think we just have to talk about what he's done in 11 and a half quarters. And I don't think it needs to be anything more than that. And what he's done in 11 and a half quarters is allow you and I to sit here and say that he's not a drop off where the 49ers can still win the Super Bowl and still are going to compete the same way they would have competed with this guy at quarterback. So he's done his job that way. Two, and this is where I'm going to go a little bit more controversial, is I'm going to say that this is the best stretch of 11 and a half quarters I think that we've had played for a quarterback under Shanahan with the 49ers. All we've been looking for is a quarterback that can make a few things happen when it's not there and execute what's there. And I think the big difference between him and Jimmy G in 2017 is Brock Purdy is executing within the system. He's showing command of the system. He's showing command of the offense, and he is going through his progressions. He's throwing the ball on time and with rhythm, and he's throwing the ball with great accuracy. Jimmy G in 2017 was freelancing a little more and a little bit. He was kind of operating outside of the system. He was operating with a system that was very similar to what he did in New England. It wasn't that he came in, took the Shanahan offense, and was playing well. And that's where I do think there's a little bit more if we're going to do the projection, which I just said we're not here to do, there is a little <laughs> bit more of a um, path for continued success maybe for Brock Purdy at this level because the weapons aren't going to change. Shanahan isn't going to change. Like This stuff year after year is going to be available for him. And we'll see if he, this confidence and command remains because he's going to go through some adversity. And that was the reason I brought up the Kirk Cousins and all of those examples because to me, if you're able to respond to the adversity and then continue starting, getting better, continue starting, getting better, that impresses me, right? It's more impressive to me than if you start for two years, you have two great years, then you run into some adversity. And those two great years, you were an MVP level player and that was your career, but you couldn't really evolve your game beyond that first initial adjustment that happened right. to you. And that's going to happen to Brock Purdy too, and we'll see how he responds. But right now, from a skill set wise, he's not doing anything that you can really stop because he's just going to the football with the right place at the right time. And he's throwing the ball very accurately and he's playing with great toughness, poise and command. I, to be fair to Jimmy in 2017, also like he came in, he was traded in the middle of the season. So he's not going to have the same command of the offense that Brock Purdy has. Uh, So that is a fair point. Let me ask you this though, Rob. Because I do think one more fair point needs to added be added to that is that his supporting cast in 2017 can't even be compared to what Brock not even close right now. We got to throw that in too. Yes, Let me ask I you do. this: the command you've seen from 11 and a half quarters, the poise, the control you've seen from Brock Purdy, have we ever seen that in five years from Garoppolo? Not the poise, like the okay. the, the dropping back. I can still to this day, if you were to put Jimmy Garoppolo in the game fully healthy right now, mm-hmm. when his first read is not there. He gets nervous. You can see it. You can see it in his feet. You could see it in, in his reactions, even how he rolls out. Like 
there is a level of discomfort there that comes across just on the TV screen before you even watch the film or anything. Right. Does not have that. That is to me, that's the biggest sort of advantage over Jimmy Garoppolo. Brock is comfortable. And it's not even just, he doesn't panic. He looks calm. He goes through reads. He scans the field. He rolls out, extends the play. When he rolls out, I'm comfortable. I'm almost excited. Like, Ooh, maybe something cool is about to happen here. That is not the case with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, that's absolutely there. I think also just not panicking, knowing where your answers are like, hey, I got blitzed off the right side. Where do I need to go when I'm blitzed? Right. And Scott Brown says it perfectly. Purdy, Purdy is relaxed. He knows he's prepared. He knows what his answers are. He knows how to play. He's played the position. He knows how to play. Um, He plays on time, on rhythm, on schedule, and he just knows where to go with the ball with Garoppolo. And it's funny because one's a seventh round rookie and the other guy has started multiple years and has been yep. in the NFL for a long time in multiple systems and two quite uh, under two very, very smart coaching staffs in New England and San Francisco. And yet to me, there's still a lot of rookie qualities about what Garoppolo does. And with Purdy, he is the rookie, but I I feel like just watching him visually, and you're right, it doesn't even need to be film or how they're throwing the ball. It's just demeanor. Purdy's the one that feels like the veteran quarterback um, to me rather than Garoppolo, which is where I think the conversation is even more interesting in all of this because he is a seventh-round rookie, Rob. And I was thinking about it. in terms of the rookie quarterbacks we've seen the last two years, and now we have to throw ceiling into all of that, but just in terms, and their supporting cast, right? Purdy's supporting cast far exceeds everybody else besides Lance, who got that supporting cast as well. But just in terms of what they've done as the individual quarterback and how they've played and how clean they've played, I think Purdy has played better than any of the rookies did play this year and any of the rookies did last year. Now, I don't think Purdy would have, I think Purdy would have been miserable if he was stuck in Jacksonville and urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence's situation. So I'm not here to say he's a better player than any of those guys, but just individually how they played when they started their career as rookies um, and circumstances definitely enhanced what Purdy has done, but he's also played well within the circumstance that's there too, right? Like we've seen this offense with these same weapons and stuff and we've been able to sit here objectively and say the quarterback's not playing that well and we're able to sit here today and say the quarterback is playing well with these same weapons and so that's credit to him but he's played better than any of the rookies um in 21 or 22 he has come in and just stabilized things which is that's the biggest thing that's what they needed him to do jimmy garoppolo goes down and the niners are bleeding right the yeah. They're literally bleeding out, right? You're seeing the chance of them winning the Super Bowl just leave their body. And Brock comes in and he stabilizes, he stops the bleeding, and they the train can continue to roll down the tracks. And he deserves a ton of credit because that is not easy to do. I did mm-hmm. come across this tweet I wanted to ask you about. So Brock has been very good against man coverage so far. He's faced it a little over 43% of the snaps for right. the podcast audience. He has a 91.1 QBR against man coverage, right. eight and a half yards per attempt, five touchdowns. Very, very good. Against zone, not quite as good. He's seen it on almost 60% of his snaps. He has a 59.8 QBR, 6.6 yards per attempt, one touchdown compared to five against man. He has been blitzed less and less at the longer he's been yeah. in. Like defenses are picking up on this, right? Like make him decipher the coverage. Yeah. Do you think that's something to worry about? Or do you think it's just, hey, 
he knows the offense. The reads are more defined in man coverage. And so that's why there's a difference. No, I don't look. I, it's hard to say whether he's even good versus man coverage. Now, um, typically, you know, man coverage is a little tighter windows. And when you have a quarterback that maybe arm strength is their one question mark, do they have an upper echelon arm? You question whether they could make all these tighter window throws. And so it's, Hard for me to even say sitting here today, Rob, that, you know, that he's genuinely good against man coverage, given the sample he has. In regards to zone, I do think that, you know, they played two teams that play a lot of zone in Tampa Bay and Seattle. Tampa Bay does a little bit of everything. Tampa Bay does a lot of exotic things in coverage in terms of the way they rotate into zone coverage and all of that. And then the Seattle game, he was banged up I thought it was visually clear that he was hindered by that injury throwing the football I mean not that his arm pops in general but it's not I don't look I I thought it was and not NFL standards when I watched him in Iowa State when I watched him so far on the last couple games it does not look far weaker than Garoppolo's arm and then I saw him you know, throw side by side with Tua I guess when I was watching that game back and forth and if Tua has an arm that's capable of making every throw in the NFL, then absolutely Brock Purdy does as well. So to me, his arm isn't like weak. And then when you're talking about like zone coverage, I just think it was the injuries and that. I do think it's something to monitor, Rob, and and I'm glad you gave me that stat because I'm going to look at it going forward. But it's very hard for me to definitively say that with the 11 and a half sample size, quarter sample size. Yeah, that's fair. And yeah, like, like, people have been saying in the chat and we've been saying too, like, yeah, it's really, really early to make any super definitive statements at this point. It's just cool to notice trends and keep an eye out. Yeah. Uh, Gray Fox, one ninety eight. Thanks for the super chat. The main difference is I don't hold my breath when Purdy throws the ball. Yeah. And that's a nice feeling. I'm not going to lie. I just, it's, we do this weird thing with quarterback and not just Niner fans. Everybody does. You got a quarterback that all of a sudden comes in and starts playing well. And number one, they're immediately compared to the greats in your franchise's history. For the Niners, it's Steve Young and Joe Montana. And for, you know, other teams, it's for the Chiefs, I imagine it's, well, geez, I guess like Trent Green. For the Chargers, it's Phillip Rivers. Like Cowboys that, and Takeman, stop Right. It. That's just what we do as fans. And I just feel like, first of all, we don't need to do that. Second of all, comparing Brock Purdy to Steve Young and Joe Montana is ludicrous. Yeah. It's crazy at this yeah. point. And let's just chill out with it and enjoy it. And every week there's going to be another box for him to check. Can he do it against the blitz? Can he do it against man coverage? Can he do it? We still haven't seen him trailing for any discernible, you know, especially by multiple scores. We still don't know that. So we're still in the information stage with Brock. And I think you summed it up best. I don't think it needs to be that. And that's why. Well, I guess I went back on my own rule because I projected after talking about projection because I said that I think he can sustain because right now it doesn't feel like he's doing anything that's, you know, playing within the offense with timing, rhythm, structure works in the NFL no matter what. And he's playing in a mm-hmm. good offense, too. So, like, it helps. That's why I don't think, like, he's going to be all of a sudden unsuccessful. But in regards to just playing what you're saying, Rob, I think the best thing I could say is that he has been – very good for 11 and a half quarters and I think that's all we need to say about him right now mm-hmm. it doesn't matter to me if Rob excuse me Brock Purdy I almost called him Rob Purdy Rob Purdy yeah Rob Purdy has a good <laughs> ring to it not gonna lie True. um but um it doesn't matter to me if he sucks 
I guess it matters for me because I'm a 49ers fan, but it doesn't matter to me in terms of how I look at how he played the last 11 and a half quarters. If he sucks the rest of the season, if his career falls apart. Like, I don't know any of those things about him. Maybe he can be a starter for a long time. Maybe he can't. I don't know. He'll get the opportunity to find that out in his career. What I do know and what I can talk about is that he's been excellent for 11 and a half quarters. And right now that's all that matters to me. And and the way I see it too, is even with the tempering of expectations, cause I see people going both ways on it. I see the people projecting already talking about what he's going to be. He's like Steve young. He's like Joe Montana. He's like this person. He's like that person. He reminds me of this. He's going to be the future quarterback. He's going to beat out train a competition, all of these things that we can project. And then I also see people going, well, he still has his limitations. He can't do this. Let's temper expectations. And my question is always this. If Garoppolo and Lance played like this for 11 and a half quarters, what would we say about them? And if, in my case, I would praise both of them, especially Garoppolo, because this is all I've been looking for from him for five years. I would go to flip. I would be, if Trey Lance was doing this, I would be going nuts. I would be. Absolutely. I would be very effusive with praise on both of them. And similarly, without, you know, having to talk about, well, will he be good later? Will all of this happen? For what he has done in 11 and a half quarters, without throwing in the context, he has played phenomenal. Let alone you throw in that he's a seventh round rookie, he's Mr. Irrelevant, and you throw in the story, which is to me the best story in a long time in the NFL. I mean, it helps that it's the 49ers, so I'm extra invested in. But you throw in that too, I'm so impressed with how he's played. And that's about all I can say right now. I'm just impressed with what he's doing and we'll see how it goes. We'll evaluate it game by game, day by day and see where it's at. There's no need to talk about those things right now. Tarvarius makes a really good point on YouTube. Christian McCaffrey is the MVP of the offense. He has made Jimmy and Purdy look great. You are a thousand percent right. Ignoring that would be silly. They're averaging eight more points a game since Christian McCaffrey came on board. He absolutely is a massive, massive part of what we're seeing. I mean, just look at last week, Vish. He had almost 35% of the Niners total yards in the game. The whole offense went through him. Yeah, absolutely. And it's crazy because there was so much tantalizing with him and Debo. And Debo has been banged up for the majority of the time Christian McCaffrey has been here, because even though he's been playing, he's been playing pretty banged up and it's been evident in his play, just like it was evident in Brock Purdy's play, even though he's battling his butt off and he has basically replaced Debo's entire workload because (laughs) of Debo being banged up. And he's been like, so much was about the two of them together. And instead McCaffrey was like, yeah, just give me all of this and I'll do what Debo usually does, which is backpack the 49ers offense. But that's what I feel like that's how they've built this offense. They built in redundancies, right? They want those things there to sort of insulate themselves against the kind of injuries that this team has had. Absolutely. I think the one thing it does, though, it it, it leaves a little bit of room. And this is what I keep talking about because I know everybody. Jordan Mason is I've never seen a player more universally loved. Every single person just wants Jordan Mason to get carries. And I can understand it. He's very good as a runner. But what people don't understand and the reason why he's running the ball in late game, obvious passing situations is clear. It's clear. And I've been using the trust word. Um, all the time with them it's clear that you know everything that goes into the offense which means that sometimes a linebacker has to line up in all three receiver spots um, all the different kind of runs the motions they have to do the blocks all of those things they're not comfortable with him doing those things and executing within the offense which is why Christian McCaffrey sees such a bulk 
when he's there. But when you notice yeah. with Elijah Mitchell, they're willing to pull McCaffrey out for drives even and play Elijah Mitchell because they trust Elijah Mitchell to do every single one of those things. And so they trust Jordan Mason as a runner, but they don't trust um, him maybe to do all of those things. And the reason I bring that up is because that's where the, that's maybe the one drawback of the redundancy, like it's nice to have McCaffrey and Debo, but let's say they have to deal with the case that he's not there. The offense kind of will have to change um, in so many ways. They would have to throw away a part of the offense, yeah. Maynard watching on the YouTube page, how can Kyle be oblivious to how he mismanages Christian McCaffrey's snap count? I don't know that he's oblivious, and he sort of talked about it uh, after the, the day after in the conference call. He knows that they do have to be smart these last three weeks of the year. He talked about that. But at the same time, he also said, you can't shut it down, right? You can't just like turn off that intensity and then flick it back on once the playoffs start. And I agree with that. That's going to be the challenge because we don't know how he's going to manage that vision. And I think a lot of, I don't think he shuts it down. He comes from the John Gruden coaching staff. That's the first place he worked and probably the most famous Gruden specific adage other other than spider two eye banana and he's gonna <laughs> gut you that I can remember about Gruden it's that if you're not getting better if you, you're never staying the same in the NFL you're either getting better or worse and that's where I think Shanahan has done such a good job of getting this team even better throughout the season in fact I still look at this football team and this is the best football I think they've played probably since the first half of 2019. And they've played a lot of good football in 2020 for a small stretch in the middle of the season. And then 2021, the second half of the season was amazing. I think this is the best they've played under Shanahan. And I still think there's another level um, still to be had. And I think this team still has places to go in terms of getting better. I understand the attrition, the injuries, but to me, you're going to have injuries in the NFL, even if you're trying not to get hurt. It's the nature of the sport. And I know he's got to be careful and I think he will be, but I also think that Shanahan will also be um, pushing everybody to get better because the goal wasn't to win the NFC West and sit on your laurels and make the playoffs. It's to go win a Super Bowl, and they still have another level that I think they need to hit before they're ready for that. That's a, it's a fair question. Is this the best the 49ers have played under Kyle Shanahan? Oh man. I'm trying not to play they've had under Kyle Shanahan, Rob. Yeah, I'm trying not to be a prisoner of the moment because they did go to the Super Bowl in 2019. They won an an NFC championship game in a blowout. Right. By throwing nominated the divisional game, too. Yeah. So, like, I'm not going to just forget about that. But the thing is, like, it might still be. It's close. That's, yeah. You know, whether you want to put one or on top or the other, it's the fact that it's this close is incredible for the 49ers. And I kind of agree. Like you can't totally shut it down. You have to play some guy. It's just, there's certain guys, right? Warner, Bosa, McCaffrey. Those are really the three that you have to protect. Trent Williams. You're putting Trent on there too. Cause I've, I've seen them play without Trent. I'm saying like, if you could put a guy in bubble wrap and guarantee that he would be healthy going into the playoffs. And oh, I only Nick, gave you uh, three. Bosa is the only one that, like, if they don't have Bosa, you can wave the Super Bowl goodbye. We can all close down. In fact, Rob, the first ever time I did a streaming anything was with Grant. Um, First ever episode of Mondays with Vish was after the week two 2020 um, game against the Jets when Nick Bosa tore his ACL. And the first ever 
I would say statement that I made while doing this was that the season is done week two when Nick Bosa gets hurt. And to yep. me, this Nick Bosa is a lot better than that Nick Bosa. And that Nick Bosa was already the best player and the most valuable player on the team. Um, and yeah, Bosa is the one I would say, if if you say, if you're telling me Bosa is out for any period, I'll wave it all goodbye. It's over. That's it. Done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he would definitely be up there. They did beat the Cowboys in the playoffs last year, right, basically without, without Nick Bosa because yeah. he was concussed. Uh, but I agree. Like, he's – you got to manage him. You just – and I know, like, he's got 15 and a half sacks and the whole deal, but, like, got to keep the main thing the main thing. Isn't that what Pat Riley said to LeBron yeah. when he was recruiting him? Like, don't take your eyes off the prize, 49ers. And I think this is a great position, actually, too, because they don't have to really necessarily sit anybody, but they also have enough depth where maybe Nick Bosa, if there's 60 defensive snaps in the game, he doesn't have to play 45. He could play 40 or 35 just because right. the other guys around them are playing well. Um, That's one thing they didn't have on in 2019. They came into the season with defensive line depth and everyone got hurt. Ronnie Blair got hurt. That entire second defensive line basically got hurt this year. While all the defensive tackles have got hurt um, and they've had to have Kerry Hyder fill in, like Omenihu has stayed healthy the entire season, has played great. Um, uh, excuse me, I almost called him Charles Willis in Charles Omenihu. Jordan Willis Jordan has Willis, been right. very good since he's come back. He's played well for a backup player. Samson Mebukam, I mean, he's had like four different instances where he has an injury where it looks like, oh my God, he's not going to get up and walk and he's in three plays later. So that's there too, but he's also had a very strong season. And so because of all of that, I I think that there is enough depth, Rob, where they can kind of manage pitch counts because there's other guys that can come in and play meaningful minutes. And while there is a drop-off from anybody to Nick Bosa, those other guys are so well coached and they're pretty good in their own right that the Niners can compete definitely with the teams they have left on the schedule. To me, the Arizona game is kind of a wash. I expect that to be all backups and then Arizona is going to be playing backups anyway. So it's going yep. to be backups on backups that game, but good. I think Washington's <laughs> a good test for them. It's a good test for them to go play against that team. It's a good front. They have a good front with Payne and Allen and Montez Sweat. And maybe, maybe Chase Young. We don't know. Possibly. Uh, I mean, I, I still am holding out that I think they'll bring him back. Aren't you, Rob? They're in a midst of a very important playoff stretch. They're still kind of in the driver's seat because that tie with the Giants keeps them kind of there with everything. And yeah, I I think it's a good test for them. Really quick. I just want to say this. Washington got screwed last night. Yeah. yeah, they Unbelievably screwed at the end of the game. They have a receiver. Ask the ref before the play starts, am I lined up where I need to be? And the ref gives him like a thumbs up and then they call him for a legal formation right. on the play. Right. And then after that, on I think it was fourth down, the pass into the he end zone, the, the receiver is getting mugged. Yeah, He's getting he smothered and they don't call pass interference. They got absolutely screwed. Not that I, whatever, it's a 49ers show. Yeah. I'm just pointing that out. No, absolutely. But I think in terms of like a matchup, Washington brings a lot of things that'll be good for the 49ers to play against. If, if that makes sense, they have good receivers too. Um, and it'll be good for the Niners secondary to go against those receivers. Like, I, I think like, I think a lot of people look at it as put everybody in bubble wrap. We got to the playoffs now make it everybody to the playoffs. But I look at it a little different because I think the 49ers still 
have a little bit like I don't think they've peaked yet. I think they're peaking that's into the season. And that's where I think that in these games they can even take it to another level. And I think I think Vegas is well in its own way with the way Josh McDaniels has figured out how to run the ball with Josh Jacobs and what he's been doing with Devontae Adams, and it'll be a good matchup for Mooney Ward and all of that. Maybe I don't on, think they'll dude. They had barely beat the Patriots on the fluke of all flukes last week. I agree. I agree. I'm just saying individual things about that game, not that they would provide a matchup to the 49ers. I think individual right. things about that game would make the 49ers better playing against that for the long run. Niners are favored by seven against Washington right now. I just had to pop in and check. If you're telling me that this team hasn't peaked, that this defense hasn't peaked yet, yeah. then holy crap, look out NFL. Yeah. And let me just say, I don't ever, 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 ever want to hear anybody mention the Cowboys defense in the same breath as this 49ers defense ever again this year. I am not here for that. And shout out to John Chapman, who had a great tweet yesterday. The Cowboys defense has allowed 63 points in back-to-back weeks against yeah. the Texans and the Jags. The Niners have allowed 63 points in their last six games combined. Okay. So miss me with the praise for Michael Parsons and the Cowboys defense. I'm not hearing it. It's not close. The Niners have the best defense and everybody with the Cowboys can go pound sand. Yeah. So First of all, unbelievable stat from Chapman to include that he's the man. Shout out to him. But second of all, I think it's awesome that uh, you bring up this comparison because I guess I've been missing a lot of when this comparison has been happening, but I'm kind of flabbergasted that people have the gall to use a Stephen A. Smith term, the gall. <laughs> he, used, he, he goes unmitigated gall. I'm still not sure what's unmitigated about the gall. But uh, I just like making fun of always unmitigated. Um, But um, uh, yeah, he I I don't understand why people are even comparing these two defenses. The Niners defense statistically um, is historic. It's in the conversations with the historic defenses. And I don't remember other than comparing the one year, the Legion of Boom defense before they were the Legion of Boom. In fact, that 2012 defense that was still very good. We compared to the 49ers defense. I don't remember anybody ever disputing the Legion of Boom was the best defense in the NFL because they were that good. I don't remember anybody really disputing it with the no fly zone. The 2018 Bears, some of these defenses that I feel like have gotten these tags deserved or undeserved. And I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet for the 49ers defense. I I guess I thought I would attribute it maybe because the last couple of years then there haven't been as many quote unquote names on the defense, but I think Bosa's Bosa's always been a household name, but I think Fred Warner has definitely become a household name. I think Greenlaw became a household name through the second half of this season. I think Jimmy Ward has been talked up by the Niners coaching staff so many times. We see broadcasts talking about him. Hufanga is a guy that's starting to get – like there's enough players here that are going to be in the Pro Bowl, All-Pro, national conversation that are being talked about individually for their contribution enough where we shouldn't be comparing this defense to a Dallas Cowboys defense that I find to be very one-dimensional and reliant on Dan Quinn and Micah Parsons to do great things. And they have a good corner in Trayvon Diggs. But – the rest of that de- and Tank Lawrence is a good player as well, but the rest of the defense doesn't compare to when you go down the lanes. Like 
Bosa, Warner, those are the two guys you and I agree they're the one-of-ones. But then Eric Armstead, I would say, is a star defensive tackle. Greenlaw's a star running back. Mooney Ward is a number one corner. He's a top 10 corner. Yeah, he is. He's a star corner. Jimmy Ward, I mean, yeah, he's a top 10 safety, but is he also not a top three or four nickel in the NFL? Has he not played amazing the last three, four weeks? And he's like slept on. Yeah, Hufunga makes as many plays as any safety. Every week, is it not Hufunga? Some clip that we can take from the game of Hufunga with one crazy blitz tackle for a loss <laughs> that's like, you psycho madman, or it's Hufunga with some crazy interception that's like, man, you had such feel and instinct to go find that ball like that. Like, you just have a feel for this. And so, like, we see it every week. And then Gibson is a very steady veteran player who doesn't really make many mistakes, but he's also waning a little bit physically. And then Lenore is playing well to be the second corner to be basically the fourth corner on this team because Verrett and Mosley had to get hurt for us to get here with him and then how physical he's played he got robbed of a pick six yeah he did yeah but I mean you go down the list and then you look at the games after the Chiefs game look at these games and D'Amico Ryan's with how he's coaching man Rob it kind of pisses me off actually that you're bringing See? up that I'm there's telling a comparison. you, yeah, it's crazy. JJ Zero watching on my Twitch, JJ Zero Zero watching on my Twitch page at Stats on Fire. By the way, please follow me. I'm starting to build up my followers. Uh, if this defense keeps up the current pace, are they an all time level defense? I think that they are. I think it was KJ Wright actually on Seattle yeah. radio this week or last week, I should say, who basically said, like, this is up there with the Legion of Boom defense. And yeah. he was on the Legion of Boom, right? Defense. He's one of their best players. So I you, that carries a lot of weight with me. But well, here's one stat I came across. And actually, I want to give credit to Nathan Free, who messaged me on Twitter. Uh, and I hadn't seen this until he said it. The Chiefs are the only team this year that's won after playing the 49ers. The league is 1-12 the week after they play San Francisco. I think part of that reason is because this defense beats the hell out of yeah. you. Yeah, it's a physical toll. It's a physical toll to play the 49ers. It's a physical toll to play them on offense, too. Does any offense hit as hard as the 49ers? Yeah, I know. They just literally, there's no break. We just beat, beat you right. up. Right. It's, it's, it's amazing. I think that's an amazing stat. I, it's time for this defense. I hope that they sweep the awards as defenses of this caliber should. Nick Bosa gets defensive player of the year. Um, you know, you throw in something else for some one of these other guys. In fact, I would put Greenlaw somewhere near that comeback player of the year conversation because I think Ooh. something that's been underrated with him, too, is that he's battled injuries um, the last two years. And so it is kind of a comeback player of the year for him because he's been injured. Now, he hasn't had, like, the serious injury. Um, but, yeah, he's – I guess you could – I mean, maybe I'm just looking to give these guys awards as well. But they should be – a lot of them should be near that all-pro conversation. They should definitely send six, seven guys to the Pro Bowl. Um, they've been outstanding. Merrill, watching on Facebook, says, Talano Hufanga has been the one to give up a few big plays the defense has given up. That's true, but that's probably small potatoes given how well the rest of the defense yeah. has played. And the other big plays that Hufanga makes. And that's right. like you talked about, Vish. Every week we're going and we're being like, holy crap, he's, it was a sack strip fumble by Hufanga. Yeah. Or he, you know, made a huge tackle where he jumped across the line of scrimmage right at the snap. Like, he he does give up some plays in coverage, absolutely. But he has other big high-end plays. And to me, that more than makes up for it. And look, I actually predicted this. No, I didn't predict it to the magnitude that it is. But I predicted that he would have a season similar to what he's had 
where he makes a few plays and he makes enough things that make you excited, but there's mistakes in there. Um, but I'm not even like a lot of people go to the mistakes and then immediately talk about what he was physically come out of, coming out of college and all of that. But I don't even go to that at this point. When we're talking about the mistakes. He's a second year player, first time full year starter. 22. These things are going to happen. And like he's making enough plays to make you excited about what he can be once he starts cleaning some of the technical things up in his game. And that's going to come as he grows and keeps playing. Jaquaski Tart, who we would compare him to, who didn't make that many mistakes, also he's started in the NFL for six years before that. He had been starting for so long. He had been playing for so long. He was so experienced, so polished. And so I, I don't bring up that comparison to compare them directly. I bring it up to say Hufanga also, the more he plays, he keeps accumulating games, getting more comfortable. He will also not make, you know, one or two mistakes occasionally. But these are more a product to me of him being a young player than it is about where he is physically as well, too. Did you hear his interview with Richard Sherman? It was actually really, really cool. Yeah. Sherm flat out asked him, like, hey, uh, I think it was the Tyree Kill touchdown against the yeah. Dolphins. Like, what happened on that? And Hufanga, like, just the way he explained it, he's basically like, I bit down when I shouldn't have. I should have played it deep to short. I don't know why I didn't. Looking back, it makes, like, it seems mm -hmm. obvious. But just the fact that, like, he had already looked at it, digested it, internalized the mistake, yeah. and learned from it. Like, he, he took 22. complete ownership. Yeah, like, I, I just, I love the kid. How do you not like him? He's just. I, I everybody makes a comparison, especially because he's worked with Troy Palomalo. And I don't want to do that because Palomalo was a freakishly instinctive, all time incredible safety. But he does remind you of that style of player. And it's, I think it fits so well in this defense. Does he not remind the, you of his GM a little bit? John Lynch? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I but, was okay. So I was thinking. So when Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster was drafted, I tweeted this a couple of weeks ago, Daniel Jeremiah. Actually, I have to give credit first to my dad who made this comment to me while we were watching the draft 30 minutes before Daniel Jeremiah said it on NFL Network's broadcast. So I shout out to my dad. I just wanted to give him credit, but he compared, he basically said when John Lynch drafted Solomon Thomas and uh, Reuben Foster, he had drafted his Warren Sapp and his uh, Derek Brooks. And wow. I tweeted that out to say that, you know, it's funny he said that then, but he did find his version of Warren Sapp in Nick Bosa, who's that dominant all-pro, all-time front player. And he did technically draft his version of Derek Brooks, the special coverage off-ball linebacker in Fred Warner, too. So he did find that. And actually, there's a lot of similarities with this defense and the O2 Bucks, right? I would say Jimmy Ward is kind of their version of Rondé Barber. Um, I don't remember that defense having like a great outside corner. So Mooney Ward can be thrown in there. Eric Armstead is their Simeon Rice, the under the radar, not talked about guy who kicks ass every game. Um, I guess Hufunga then would be the John Lynch kind of enforcer at safety who came out of nowhere. It's not exact comparisons, but I just thought because Daniel Jeremiah made that comparison because John Lynch, who's one of the architects of this team, along with Kyle Shanahan played on this defense. I just thought it was a fun little, um, comparison jj00 again on my twitch page at stats on fire if hufonga ran a 4-2 like palomalo yeah. he'd been a top five yeah. pick i don't know if troy ran a 4-2 but i agree he if he was faster yeah he would have been absolutely a higher pick everybody got scared off and credit to the niners for picking late and not doing that yeah um 
I know we got to wrap up here. There's he had one... injuries too, though, to be fair, Rob. He had some right. injuries. He was Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, so he was not like no slouch at USC either. Yeah. yeah. One weird thing I want to get to, uh, not to circle back to Purdy, but I, we didn't mention it earlier, and I wanted to make sure we got it in the show. And I don't know how many people there are, but I have seen people upset with George Kittle because after the game on Thursday – he was doing the, the media with the on the NFL Network set or the Amazon set, whatever. And he had a shirt and it said, feels great, baby. Jimmy Garoppolo. It was just like written in like Sharpie. And people it got didn't mad. Even say Garoppolo it just said 10. Yeah. And people like got mad at George Kittle. And like, I don't understand that at all. Kittle and Jimmy are friends. I think a lot of times when guys get hurt, they sort of disappear and are kind of forgotten. And I think that George just wanted to give Jimmy a shout out like, hey, man, we haven't forgotten about you. You know, yeah. you're still my guy. I don't know why people were mad at Kittle for that. Uh, I do know why people are mad at Kittle, um, but I, I don't understand it. Um, I'm with you. It's it's just a human thing. He's just shouting out somebody who he considers a friend, just showing him that we're there with him. I don't think it was unsupportive of Brock Purdy in any way. I don't think it undermined Brock Purdy in any way. It was just him showing support to a teammate that he's friends with. That's all. And I I think that there's a little too much controversy surrounding it. I've heard, I feel like I've heard, and then the comments, I guess, were slightly contentious according to some. I didn't view it that way when Kittle said, you know, or Purdy said Kittle talks too much and, um, Kittle then said, like, this isn't a quarterback-driven offense. I saw all of that. I, I saw Grant also talk about it. I watched his show on it as well. Shout out to him. But the point with all of that is I don't necessarily agree with any of it. Um, I, I just – I look at it as just a very nice human gesture, and that's all it was, nothing more than that. They understand the business of what it is as a football team. They understand what their job is. And, in fact, like, I feel like we've seen enough interviews from George Kittle to know that he is not the thoughtful guy that's going to put that quote, wear that shirt on the post game so that it makes everybody think that he's undermining Brock Purdy and he's going to try to create this impression that this is still Garoppolo's team. Maybe I just have the wrong perception of George Kittle. I don't pretend to know him. I don't. I just view him from afar. But everything that he has done in terms of how he's carried himself in the public eye has been very much on the spot reactionary. I'm just going to be me, this fun guy. It's never been, I'm this thoughtful, like conniving, manipulative type of guy, which is what he's trying to be painted out to be when he, to me, all this is, is just a gesture to a friend. That's it. Yeah. And as someone pointed out on Twitter, Joshua uh, Nudson, I think pointed out on Twitter, like Kittle wore the feels great baby shirt when they clinched against Seattle in 2019. After the game, Kittle had a shirt that said feels great baby on it. And so then they clinched Thursday in Seattle against the Seahawks. It was a callback to that shirt. A lot of people are saying, I don't know if it was or if it wasn't. Why wouldn't he just wear the same shirt again? Anyway, doesn't maybe, matter. Maybe the point is he's not trying. He's not trying to undermine Brock Purdy. That's not who George Kittle is. Mr. Positive, right? Like he, that's the complete opposite of, of who George Kittle was. I have no problem with it. I he's right. By the way, the offense isn't about the quarterback. Like, I don't know. I just think that that's I, I read into stuff a lot and I know that I do. And I know that it drives people crazy. Mm-hmm. Even I'm not reading into this one. 
Yeah, I do as well. I, I feel like it's our responsibility to read into it. And that's where I think talking about it is definitely worth it. But just because we're going to talk about it doesn't mean that I need to make it a topic if I don't believe it isn't. And in this case, I don't, I think this is the most moot of moot uh, talking points when it comes to the Niners. It's Big City Man says it's because George is in that group of players who were unsupportive of Trey Lance over Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, Kittle is a Garoppolo guy for yeah. sure, but I didn't think he was unsupportive of Ooh, Lance. Yeah. Uh, I just think he like he likes Jimmy the person. That's the thing that I feel like that people are underestimating. Like Jimmy as a person, people just like him. He's a bro. He's a cool guy. Chris Sims is described him to me as like the ultimate bro. Like everybody likes this guy. And so I think George the person likes Jimmy the person. Maybe more even, than Trey Lance, the person, which is fine, by the way. But, but I don't Rob, look, I don't even think it's that deeper than that. He's played football with this guy for five years. They've yeah. been in the locker room together. They're friends. That's all it is. It's not he's more supportive of him than Trey Lance. George Kittle's first responsibility of support is supporting George Kittle on the football field. So <laughs> guess what? If he's worried about Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance and not worrying about George Kittle – the NFL is so ruthless as a business. George Kittle will get cut, washed over, despite the fact that he's George Kittle and he's produced this many years and been this good for the 49ers. So George Kittle's first responsibility of worry is about George Kittle. I think people just blow this out of proportion. Like, Rob, for example, if you and I work together, we're friends, right? And you replaced me um, and you went on, or let's say Niners Nation came in. They said, Rob, you can't do a show with Vish anymore. You have to replace him with someone else. And let's say that you were cordial with me on the timeline. You supported me because we're friends and we did this show for this long. Does that mean you're not supportive of the new guy you're doing the show with? No. Right. You know your responsibilities are. You're going to do the show with him and all of that. It's just that you and I cultivated a friendship for the time we did, I mean, I feel like we've already cultivated one, but we will. it'll get stronger as we continue to do this. We'll get a relationship, and that's all it is with George Kittle and Jimmy G and all of that. I think a lot of people look into it a lot more than they have. And the one thing I will say, um, I don't know if there's the support of Trey, but I think a lot of people look at it for players and all of them to be overly effusive, and I think they've been complimentary of Trey, but they've also been honest about the work that needs to be done when they've talked about it. And that's where I think a lot of people look at it as, well, they're being uncomplimentary of him. No, I think they're just being honest of where he is. And in fact, I think Shanahan, who's probably the most supportive person of Trey in the 49ers, given all the fact that he gave Agreed. up to get him. So he's probably the most supportive is extremely forthcoming and honest when he talks about Trey Lance, he always talks about how much he likes him, how much he loves him, but he's also honest. Like before the season, he was honest about the fact that they were going to have to win with him around him and he was going to have to grow. And they were looking forward to seeing him grow and all of that. So it's just giving honest answers. I do think they love Brock Purdy too. While we're on the topic of grapple Brock Purdy, they love Brock Purdy. In fact, Brock Purdy's the first quarterback that it feels like Jimmy who question mark a little bit. And maybe that's why Kittle wore the shirt too. Cause you know, usually when Jimmy gets hurt, we remember and we talk about Jimmy getting hurt. Because Brock his replacement usually yeah. stinks. This time yeah. he's actually not stinking. Right. Uh, Waveware, real quick, says, where's that support of Trey Lance? If you go back and listen to George Kittle interviews before the season started, Very he did praise Trey Lance repeatedly yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah. So I just want to point that out because I think people forget that. He absolutely did. But on your Purdy point, I agree. I think that they love him. Dude. I think they like the little swagger. Like he yeah. comes in, 
He throws that touchdown to Juice against the Dolphins. He's going finger guns. Like, right. like, and right. I think people were like, damn, like, I like this kid. Like, I he think has, that's a likable personality. He, and he has an intensity and a charisma and a competitiveness that's infectious. And we haven't seen the quarterback have this. They always say Jimmy G's a great leader, but I never felt like it was Jimmy G's emotion that had an imprint on this team. I always felt like it was Debo or Bosa or those kind of guys. Yes. And now I feel like this team actually responds to the personality of Brock Purdy, which is a little bit different. And you can make the 2017 comparison because if there was a valuable contribution from Jimmy G in 2017, I thought they went right off of his personality, fed off of his confidence. He was the aura. And maybe Purdy is just doing that for a short period of time. And that's where, like you said, Rob, we'll see. And it's going to be like what I said with the 10 years of starting. I brought all that up. Well, it's going to be when he goes through his adversity, if he's able to stay the same and keep the confidence and keep this through this, then yeah, he's got a chance to last um, a lot longer. But yeah, definitely. He they're definitely responding to him. They're definitely playing off of him. He's got a great charisma. He's got great like uh they're they love him. They love him. And Rob, I can't I can't imagine how much equity he gained uh from this from the locker room for playing oh. this week. I mean Shanahan was yeah. just praising how hurt he was, you know, saying he was unbelievable, texting Peter King. Oh my god, he was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't we literally didn't know how long he was gonna be able to yeah. play. Like they were preparing Josh Johnson to come in. Talk about credibility in the locker room. Playing hurt, playing well hurt. Right. And not only that, game on the line, right. third down, rolling out, number one, sliding to stay inbounds, number two, extending the ball. And Brock, in his comments, actually kind of said, he didn't expressly say it, but if you sort of read between the lines, he couldn't dive forward. He was too hurt. It would have hurt him too much to dive forward. That's why he slid, but he still put the ball out there. To get that in that spot is huge credibility yeah. in the locker room. Oh, yeah. Because you know he's as invested as anybody. That's all it tells you. That means that this guy's invested to do whatever it takes to win a Super Bowl. And like you said, you have to throw in the fact that it's on a short week on the road against your division rival. And I still think it's the toughest place to play in the NFL. It was as loud as I've ever heard it. On Thursday. Actually, there were a lot of 49er fans there. Too, I thought like if you I go back, too. I did too. Actually, I did see a lot of red. There the was picture, a lot of. But I still thought the stadium was booming. Yeah, I thought it was booming early. I and... think you made a great point that I want to highlight, Vish. So I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. 2017 was the only time I felt like the team was feeding off of Garoppolo. Right, he came in. He was Jimmy GQ, super sexy quarterback. Yeah. The heir apparent to Brady. Now we got him. He's our guy. And he comes in right away as soon as he, well, not right away, but as soon as he played and it goes win, 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 win. They beat the Jags defense at the time, which nobody was scoring on. And there was such a confidence there. He was driving down at the end of games to give them like game winning field goals. Right. They remember that clip, that turning point clip. Yes. Yes. Against the Titans. And the montages of him, Brady, when he runs out of the huddle, going, yeah, let's effing go. And Garoppolo coming down the huddle, running down and going, yeah, let's effing go. It was all of it. Garoppolo's on the sideline, run through the two minute calls, going up to Robbie Gold. Robbie, what yard line do we have to get right. to so for the game winning? Kelly Marquis Goodwin to bend his route a little bit more inside so he be can be a hit him football earlier. player. Feel right. it out. They can't handle your quickness, Trent Taylor. All that stuff. And you were like, I was feeding off of Jimmy Garoppolo. It was like, yes, like they did feed off of him. And that, I don't know if it's because of the ACL mm-hmm. or what, but that stopped. 
I completely agree with you. And now, and I don't even think that they did that with Trey. And maybe they would have if he had played. So we don't really know. But absolutely they are with Brock, 100%. That is a that is the best Brock Purdy point I have heard anybody make. And it's from you, Vish. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Rob. Um, I know we, we've gone a little bit over a lot of time, but I'm actually having a great time, Rob. I don't know if you are, but I just would like to mention that as well. So appreciate you for that. But I wanted to throw in one last thing while we're on the topic of Brock Purdy's personality and charisma. And it's the idea of trust in how Shanahan is calling the game. To me, he's calling the game knowing that he's got a quarterback who has the answers to every single thing and he knows them like the back, like through the back of his head. Brock Purdy knows this offense back and forth. And Shanahan's calling games where he knows if I call this player or whatever, I, I can believe that my quarterback's going to make the right decision and not turn it over and not make mistakes. And he's calling games aggressively. He's allowing Brock Purdy to play and he's calling his offense as normal as I've ever seen him call it. And I, I don't want to say, I, I don't know if he trusts Brock more than Trey or more than Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think right now he's calling the offense like he believes in what Brock can produce with the way he's calling the offense more than what he believed in Jimmy. Like with Jimmy, he always called the offense in a way that he was nervous that Garoppolo would throw the game away for him. I yes. thought it was most apparent early in 2019, but I thought he protected him. I thought it was kind of what he did for Trey Lance early in this season where he just tried to protect the quarterback and let him grow because Jimmy was coming off an injury and Lance hadn't played and he was going to grow and develop. But it was most apparent after the Super Bowl. It just felt like the offense kind of Kyle always with him. It felt like he was scarred from the moment that no matter what, this guy is going to screw it up and I got to find a way to make sure he doesn't screw it up. And I feel like and that's where you and I had that conversation. Do you remember? We said, I think this could be a top five offense with Garoppolo at quarterback and a different coach. And I think it could be a top five offense with Shanahan at coach and a different quarterback. It's just, he's a little scarred with how yeah. he's calling the game. And we're seeing that difference now because he seems to have this full unfiltered belief in Brock Purdy. And I think what's amazing about the growth of this relationship right now to three weeks, it feels like he's surprising Shanahan too. Shanahan's like, man, I can call this with this guy. I can do this with this guy. Oh, he's going to do this when I call this. Okay, let's go. Let's go. And he's just adding more on it. And Brock Purdy, look, again, I don't want to get into the projection, but what he's done for 11 and a half quarters is just execute, 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 execute. And that is all you can ask for. That is all Shanahan can ask for. And that is so exciting. David watching on YouTube says, I love Trey Lance. And if Trey was playing the way Purdy is, I'd be over the moon right now. Big ups to Purdy. Totally agree. On the trust from Shanahan. He was asked about that, and Kyle said, my confidence in Brock just allows me to call what I think was right. You trust him to make the right play. So in other words, I feel like, like you were saying, there were times where Kyle would would try to protect himself and the team against a turnover by Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, what I think Kyle just told us is, I just call what I think the best play is. And I think that's also part of the reason why the offenses looked better, because you have the best chance to succeed if right. your coach, who's an amazing play caller, right. is simply calling the play he thinks will work best at the time. Exactly. And it also helps when you have a quarterback and he talks about it so much and you can really see it um, with Brock Purdy and it's the no hesitation. And sometimes you have quarterbacks who just guess with how they're reading things and they throw with no hesitation, but they're just throwing it blind. <laughs> he's actually processing what's going on and he's making good decisions, but he's also just cutting it with no hesitation and timing. And that's where I do think 
Rob, I think a mistake is coming for him. I think the way he's playing, how aggressive he's playing, and how early he's cutting it loose in the timing and how much he's trusting things, I think a mistake is coming where if you're playing with the trust, anticipation, and timing he's playing with, you're going to throw a couple picks. And I want to see how he responds to that as well. I know he's had kind of responses to picks, but it's not been what we want to see where it really affects the outcome of the game. And, hey, there's some pressure on you. You just made a big mistake. How are you going to bounce back now? I think those are all questions. Like you said, he's not played from behind. All these things we'll get to see with him through this year. But just in terms of the fact that he's cutting it with no hesitation, that's where you can feel Shanahan feel comfortable. Because even with the pick with him, it'll be different from with Garoppolo. Because with the pick with Garoppolo, Shanahan was always like, it's the same mistake, right. the same type of thing. He's getting confused. With this guy, It's he can probably correct that. He probably saw something, and that's why he cut it loose. And next time when he sees something, and you still want him cutting it loose, because that's why you get all these big, efficient plays from him so far. And so that's where I think it'll be a little different. And, and if there's one comparison, because I knew that David Velez brought up the comparison, And this might be a case of instinct. It might be a case of playing football, whatever. With Trey Lance, when I watched him, I never felt like Trey Lance had issues with processing things, if that makes sense. Sometimes he would, but that's just because he's a young quarterback. I thought for the most part, he knew where to go with the ball. It was just he has a slight hesitation. And I think that hesitation might be just Brock Purdy has seen it. He's so comfortable. He's been here. He's done that. And he doesn't hesitate. And I felt like Lance, sometimes there was a slight hesitation and Shanahan would go back to a few rudimentary concepts just to get him comfortable throwing it, let alone the fact, because it's there. He sees it too. It's just get comfortable throwing it with that timing, that speed, because the speed of the game is like that. So if there's one comparison in the little we've seen with both guys, I would say is that, but that could just definitely be a product of how much football they played. And I also think that there's an element of Brock didn't have anything to lose. Like, Look at Mike White with the Jets, how Mike White, not this past Sunday, but last week, got hurt, came back, got hurt, came back. He's fighting, scratching, and clawing to get on the field because Mm -hmm. he knows he might never, ever get a shot to be a starting quarterback again. That's why he wanted to He pushed so hard to play this week. The doctors wouldn't clear him. He's like, hey, do I even need your permission? Like He was doing everything he could because he knows this was probably the only time he's ever going to get a chance to be a starter. It's the same thing with Brock Purdy. Yeah. His roster spot wasn't even guaranteed next year. He's a seventh round pick, Mr. Irrelevant. He's he's nothing in terms of organizational stature, right? So I think there's an element of, hey, if I see it, I'm throwing it it's because humility. I might never get another shot again. And and he did throw a pick. You're right. Like he made that mistake against the Seahawks. Quandre Jiggs dropped it yeah. at the first half. So he is making some mistakes. It's not, it's not earth shattering and luckily. Yeah. The, defenses are not catching them which is great because he could still learn from it without the consequences that's uh-huh. the best way to make a mistake but it's not like he's been perfect no and he's still able to thrive and and like you said kind of stop the bleeding and get this team where it wants to go one last thing too if there's one more thing i wanted to add to him because i want to hear your take on this um look he's not the biggest guy in the world Um, And I do think his size is something that I'm looking forward to seeing how it affects him the further we go into the season. I, 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 you can call me old, um, even though I'm pretty young, but I, I, I like quarterbacks with size. I think it's a skill. Size is a skill. That's what Chris Tim says. Yeah. I've heard him say, I've heard so many people say that, but being six, four is a big advantage playing quarterback. Um, So I do think that sometimes in the pocket, because he's a littler guy, I feel like sometimes instead of stepping up and through the pocket, which he does at times, he tries to use his quickness to escape out the back. 
And he didn't do this so much against Tampa Bay, and then he was banged up in the Seattle game, but he did it a lot versus Miami, and I thought he took some dumb sacks just trying to sweep out the back, and he was taking like 10, 12-yard sacks. Like, dude, you're not Russell Wilson. Chill. <laughs> but with that, I do think like, yes, he took some bad sacks in that game. With that, there's also a playmaker like instinct to this guy. And yep. I hate this kind of conversation because – I feel like we turn this entire conversation about quarterbacks to be so binary, right? The quarterbacks that are physically gifted, so if they have a strong arm and are have good legs, we automatically attribute off-schedule play with that. And if you're not a strong-arm quarterback or you don't have the great athletic tools, we automatically attribute you to being a pocket guy that plays within structure. And we put these two baseline kind of general terms on both these style of quarterbacks when the reality of that is it is to me off-schedule play is more about instinct than it is about physical traits. Now, physical traits make it happen, right? With Mahomes and Allen, nobody else is going to make those plays. They don't have their arm strength and athleticism. But Herbert, who has similar arm strength and similar athleticism, while good off-schedule, is nowhere near them because he doesn't have the creativity and the playmaking instinct. Um, Even Colin Kaepernick, who I thought was you know a lot better than a lot of people th- thought he was especially for the short stint he got to play I thought I always used to think there was if there was one big difference between him and Russell Wilson I thought Russell Wilson was just more naturally composed when things broke down to escape and I thought he had great foot quickness than Colin Kaepernick who was a little bit of a long strider took him time to get going so I thought Kaepernick at times didn't have like oh the pocket broke out let me get outside and make something natural happen this guy has some sort of natural playmaker instinct to get outside the pocket and you can yep. notice because he'll he's creative he'll drop the release down to three quarters and flick a sidearm ball to somebody he has great touch and accuracy throwing on the move and Look, I don't know how how he if he can keep making plays off schedule because obviously the reason the generalities are put on these guys is because there's a physical stature that you need to sustain playing a style where you play off schedule. And he's not playing off schedule every time. He's mostly playing on schedule. But when he does play off schedule, I'll be interested to see. Uh, I'll be interested to see if he can sustain it because he's definitely got the instinct and creativity. I think the best example I could put in this NFL because I don't know if I summarize this point really well is Burrow and Herbert. Burrow's the better player off schedule, off structure. Herbert has the traditional athletic skill set and standpoint that you usually attribute and you say that guy can make play off, plays off structure. But Burrow just has a better feel, a better creativity, just a better instinct to make things happen. And I'm not comparing Purdy to Burrow, but I'm just saying even though he's a small guy, doesn't have these physical tools, he has some instinct that's allowing him to make plays when things break down. There is, that is a skill. And I agree on Kaepernick. Like some guys break the pocket and they're kind of like, I'm here because I have to be. So I hope something happens. And with Brock Purdy, it's more like, all right, not happening inside the pocket. Let's see what we can do outside the pocket. Like there's, there's two parts to the down, so to speak. And we don't know with Trey. I think that, I don't know. He doesn't look panicked outside the pocket, but also, doesn't look as natural as Purdy, but again, I feel like I feel like with him, everything like I talked about the hesitation, right? Could be just as simple as Brock Purdy has thrown that slant route versus that coverage 85 times in his career. Right. And, and he knows. And Lance is not hesitating because he doesn't think it's open. He's just hesitating because he just doesn't have the same assurance of throwing it, throwing it, throwing and knowing it's there that Purdy does. That's all. So we will see what happens. But again, enjoy it, everybody. The nice thing for the Niners is. If Brock Purdy has a couple of bad games and some learning experiences down the stretch, 
We Guess gotta look what? forward to Trey Lance. Well, not only that, but we're still in the playoffs. Man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're still absolutely. the three seeds. So if absolutely. Brock is gonna have some bad games, now is the time, dude. Get him out of your system now. Throw a couple YOLO balls. It's fine. We're still oh, the three seed. Rob, before we go, I just have to ask you this. I just want to rile you up a little bit. So oh, I have great. to ask you this. Great. this is such a nice show. I was not sick and was able to come on the post game. Rather than talking about the win, the first thing I would have asked you was about the sequence at the end of the first quarter when Brock Purdy did this unbelievable thing, got the guy offside, made it fourth and two, and Kyle Shanahan did what? He freaking punted. For no reason. It made no sense. That whole sequence made no sense. It's absurd. I thought the entire point of getting the penalty was, hey, let's go for it on fourth and two. And then when they punted, all I could think about was Rob Guerrero, Rob Guerrero. You were stuck in my head. You you, you literally had, you know, you had taken over my headspace because I was just thinking about you like that, Rob. I mean, even Greg Olson said it. I think it was Greg or uh, well, I don't was, know. Um, Herb Street. Herb Street. Sorry. Was like, what? What are you doing? What was the point? Like, just punt it if you're going to punt it. It was just really, really stupid. Uh, last super chat before we go. My finger hurt watching on YouTube. If Trey and Jimmy were both fully healthy, who would you prefer to get back for the playoffs? And why? Oh, my God. Trey Lance by a thousand million billion percent. People, Jimmy Garoppolo is garbage in the playoffs. Not, not like Jimmy Garoppolo is an average. No. In the playoffs, Jimmy is hot garbage one of the worst playoff quarterbacks we have ever seen that is not opinion it is fact go look up the numbers he's terrible in the playoffs more interceptions than touchdowns it is not close and i'm not saying trey would be any better all i'm saying is i know that jimmy's not good in the playoffs i don't know that trey is so why would i choose the proven bad option over the unknown so I thought you were going to use a different G word and I was about to really agree with you because I do agree with you, but I don't think the G word is garbage, even though Garoppolo has been as bad as you can be in the playoffs. He's been Sanchez-esque in the playoffs. I've never, I think that's the only quarterback I can really remember having that many bad performances together, but winning that much in the playoffs there's jimmy's fourth quarter performance in the Rob, you have this game like year. a banner on niners nation that you yep. can pull up whenever you get okay three of nine 30 yards no touchdowns an interception 4.2 quarterback rating in the fourth quarter of the nfc championship game last year all right Just but the g word memory. i wanted to use rob is g-o-n-e he's gone That's and true. i i don't and look and this is where it might have been a little different if purdy wasn't playing this well but to me, Purdy has shown enough where I can be confident that the worst case scenario is that Purdy goes and stinks it up in the playoffs. And oh my God, I've never seen a 49ers quarterback stink it up in the playoffs and the 49ers win. Have you, Rob? <laughs> oh wait, I've seen that the last three years. Yep. So because of that, I, I don't give a rat's ass um, really about how Purdy plays in the playoffs. I think they've already gotten the they've already gotten it with him. They've already gotten the. Uh, uh, lightning in the bottle with him. So, and I would much rather have them bring, bring Trey Lance back. Why? They're so invested in him. If right. he's back and he's healthy, worst case scenario, he can get more reps playing in practice, going through the game planning, all of that. Just going through anything football is better for Trey Lance. And right. Jimmy Garoppolo going through it doesn't matter at all because he is gone. He needs to go somewhere else. He is going somewhere else. He's going to get paid nicely. Good for him. Congratulations. But Bringing Trey Lance back might help you get him a little bit better and more ready for the long term, which your investment and what he's done has given you no reason to say that he's not still part of the long term. And you're not, he's still cheap. 
Worst right. case scenario, you have the greatest financial quarterback situation in the history of the NFL. Or damn, yeah, pretty damn close to it. Jamal Armstrong, yeah. thanks for the super chat. Stats and Herb Street sound very similar. Vish, I know you're here too. Keep up the awesome content. I've never heard that about me before, but okay. And my finger hurt his back. Isn't Jimmy's playoff QBR better than Trey Lance's regular season QBR? Dude, Trey Lance has less than 15 quarters of experience comparing Jimmy Garoppolo There's no way to this Trey is Lance. That, right? And I don't think so because Jimmy Garoppolo Jimmy's turned it over a lot in the playoffs. Hey, Jimmy Garoppolo has four touchdowns in six playoff games and six interceptions. His playoff rating is 74.1. He has been hideously bad. And one of those games, by the way, he only threw eight passes and he still managed to have all those turnovers in the playoffs. So, but the point is comparing Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance is ridiculous. Well, the way true. You said that was just very funny to me. But yeah, I agree with you. It is ridiculous. Um, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't. Um, but again, I, I don't even think it, it, it's about play because I think if at this point, I think they're going to ride Purdy through the season. There's no way they're going to bring either guy back from injury because mm-hmm. there's some momentum and Purdy's playing. Unless Purdy gets hurt, I feel like they're going to ride Purdy. By the way, can, can the 49ers have a quarterback play and not get hurt? Like, Brock is still injured. Now he played well when he was hurt, but like it's possible for a team yeah. to, to play without a quarterback getting hurt. I would like to see that. Uh, but again, it's Brock Purdy right now. We'll see what happens with Trey Lance. I'm still not ruling out him coming back off IR. I'm not ruling it out until Rob, it's- you know when we'll know. You know when we'll know what, what Shanahan like with really Kinlaw? knows. No, no, no. If he evokes the name Matt Schaub and says Purdy's like Matt Schaub, then you'll know, oh, it's over for everybody. Purdy's the starter. Because I don't he, think there's any quarterback in a, any coach in NFL history that brings up Matt Schaub. He already did, I think. Than, yeah. Oh, did he already? No, he I think gave he Matt already. Schaub two of, he gave two of that comparison. Oh, was it Was it about two? I know he brought up yeah. Schaub recently. He's I brought mean, up Schaub a few times this year. In fact, right. he's brought up Schaub um, when talking about other quarterbacks, and it always makes me wonder. Like, I thought he would compare two and Jimmy – but the fact that he brought up Schaub to me was like a direct shot at Jimmy because I always felt like he thought much more highly of Schaub than the he two, thought, thought about Jimmy. The two jokes, Brock Purdy good and Matt not too shabby. Oh, that's good, Rob. We got to end it that. right there. All right. That's Although, I, I'm kind of taking offense to you making that joke because I texted you, Purdy is pretty awesome. And you were like, oh, get out of here, Vish. Stop making jokes. I like hate that. puns. I really do. Like, I I don't know. I, my wife makes them all the time. I can't stand it. Uh, and it's just so low hanging fruit, right? Like it's really like, I don't know. There's gotta be other nicknames and other stuff we could do for Brock, but we got plenty of time to think about him the last three weeks. Oh, the season and into the playoffs. Thanks so much to everybody for joining us. We really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe to the Niners nation YouTube page, smash that like button. If you can, it really makes a big difference for us. And of course, subscribe to everything happening at the Niners nation podcast network as well. Vish is going to India, so he will not be with us next week, which I'm very sad about, Vish. Well, you know, trying to build up momentum on the train here, and some of us are going to India. Just pointing that out. Hey, Rob, if you wanted to go to India, too, I'm just letting you know that I I wouldn't take too much umbrage to you going there. The whole network would collapse if I went to India. Come on now. (laughs) Who's going to be posting all this stuff? No. Go. Have a good time. I hope it's a fantastic trip for you. We'll miss you, but don't worry. We'll be here when you come back. But I just want to give everybody a heads up. We'll have somebody different in the saddle on Monday. We'll still do a live show. Uh, it just won't be Vish sitting there. So there we we'll have go. to figure that out. And and just so you know, just so you know, other person 
if Rob does wear a shirt that says, you know, um, do you have, do I have any catchphrase? I don't know. Give me feels great baby too. I'll say it right now. Feels great baby. If he wears a shirt that says feels great baby, and because I said it today with a hyphen and vish, he is not undermining whoever comes on, whether it's Levin, <laughs> Steph, Jason, whoever comes on next week, he still loves them too. Don't worry. Don't worry. He will support them as much as he's supporting me too. Rob, That's right. Hit, hit nudge, nudge, wink, wink. If you want to wear that shirt, I'd be totally okay with okay. it. Okay. Well, yeah. that was a totally subtle suggestion by you. So nicely done. Enjoy the rest of your day, everybody. Enjoy the Niners clinching a playoff spot and just watching all these other teams have to scramble. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>